dog people. This is It's Training Cats and Dogs, your source of practical strategies to keep everyone in your multi-species household safe and sane. I'm your host, Naomi Rotenberg, and today we're bringing you part one of my chat with Lauren Rubin, another pet professional about how she used her expertise to manage the relationships between her own pets. Let's get started. Our guest today is Lauren Rubin. Lauren is the owner and behavior modification trainer of Creative Canine Solutions in Eugene, Oregon. She has been training dogs professionally since 2014 and specializes in rehabilitating dogs with reactivity, aggression, fear, and anxiety. So when I asked the Instagram universe who they would like me to interview on the podcast, Lauren came up a lot. And so I'm really excited that she's joining us today. Hi, Lauren. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having (laughs) me. I'm like so excited. I can't not. (laughs) Yeah, you're doing a little dance here. So to get that fun energy and to introduce you a little bit to the listeners, I thought we would do a fun icebreaker. We're going to play a quick round of two truths and a lie about Lauren. And I'm going to try to guess along with you guys, I guess, who are listening to this, which one is the lie. Okay, so hit me. This is extra fun because you can't see me. So I, so first I have 10 tattoos. I was an English major and my focus was dystopian fiction. And I had braces twice. Okay. Those are really great. I had braces three times. <laughs> Brutal. I had headgear. <laughs> yes, me too. Okay. I don't know. Uh, that was a, that was a bygone era. Okay. So braces twice, dystopian fiction, which is the coolest thing ever. Um, and 10 tattoos. Ooh, this one's hard. Um, okay. I'm just going to guess that you have tattoos, but it's not 10. Yep. Yes. Nice. I have, I have eight. <laughs> did you just click me? You just clicked me. Yes, because you won. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> Yay. Okay, cool. I love it. Okay, so everyone knows now that you have eight tattoos, so which is the one that you got the most recent? Uh, I have an octopus who looks like a spaceship abducting a tiny cow, and that is my most recent tattoo. Yeah, I'll send I'm you a picture say, of it to put in I'm the show gonna say, I'm going to put that up for everyone to see. I'm going to yes. do a little screenshot right here. Put that up again. I'm not here. Let me get you a better. Let's get you a better angle here. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Just I love it so there it is. much. That is the coolest. That's some good artwork right there. I'm jealous. Thanks. I'm pretty pleased. My BFF (laughs) and I got matching ones. (laughs) That's love. That is love right there. So I think that we've gotten to know you a little bit (laughs) and your personality. And I'm so excited to now kind of dive into the beings that you live with and how you all get along. So tell me a little bit about the history of your multi-species household. Tell me about the cast of characters. What are they like as individuals? <laughs> and who came first, really, besides for you? Yeah, so um, we currently have a dog, Fenrir, who is passed out on the bed behind the computer. Um, <laughs> she is an eight-year-old pit bull. We did her DNA test. She all pit. I got her when she was six weeks old from our local shelter. At the time, I had a second dog, Loki, who was probably a nine-year-old cattle dog mix. And then years later, brought home a Persian mix cat named Sindri, because we had a Norse theme going, and Sindri means little spark in Norse, um, because he's a little white, fluffy guy. So Loki came first. He was my old guy. He passed away about four years ago. 
he was loved his mama very much, but was uh, not friendly with most people, dog aggressive, not friendly with cats. So of course, after I'd had him two years, I was like, I should get a puppy. Seems like a great <laughs> idea. You know, you're in your mid twenties and you have nothing to lose. So then I brought home Fenn at six weeks old and fortunately they cohabitated and that's a long sordid tale, <laughs> but they lived together until we'll he get passed into away. <laughs> yeah. We're going to get more into that for sure. When Fenn was about a year and a half old, I moved in with my then boyfriend, now husband, and he was a cat person. And I thought, you know, what's really cool is we're renters. We already have a pit bull and a cattle dog. You know what we should do? We should get a cat. And he said, no. And I was working at the shelter at the time. And our cat came into the shelter as a stray. And I said, yes. <laughs> and brought him home. We were supposed to foster him. And then three days later, Mark, my husband named him. And we have had him for six years now. <laughs> Oops. That's how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. I always just kind of worm their way in. Yeah. Long story short, I'm a total sucker. <laughs> <laughs> and I regret nothing. Um, and Sindri is like the most chill cat. He, and he's, he's got an odd little personality. He's sitting out in the living room, staring at me. Uh, so he's really easygoing. Like you can pick him up like a rag doll, carry him around like a baby, throw him over your shoulder. Um, he's a Persian. So we give him lion cuts. You can do that while he's wide awake. And then he gets the zoomies at eight o'clock every night, despite the fact that he's like a 13 year old cat and just goes rip roaring around the house. Like it's nobody's business. And then we're back to just being a pile of fluff on a pillow. So he got a lot going on in his life. <laughs> At this point, it's predictable chaos, and you just get to know your animals uh, after a while. I mean, so has he always been that low-key, even as a youngster? So um, we think he was probably eight or nine when we adopted him. Mm -hmm. So I guess that was a youngster for him. <laughs> youngster. I mean, he thought so. He was definitely that spunky when we brought him home. And because we had Loki at the time, who was not cat friendly, that was a really interesting experience. Versus now it's just Fenrir, Sindri, and Fen loves him. She would follow him to the ends of the earth if she could. He tolerates her existence, but she thinks that the cat is the greatest gift that we ever gave her. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Yes. <laughs> so, okay. So let's go back a little bit to Loki. You, well, where were you in your training journey when all of these acquisitions were happening? Because I think that that sometimes plays a big role in why we decide to add animals at certain times in our lives. Definitely. Um, so when I got Loki, I just graduated college and thought that I was going to be a copy editor for like Tor or another cool fantasy book publisher because English major, that's how you do. Um, but I got a job at a vet clinic in the meantime, because I loved animals and didn't know what to do with my life. And then was like, oh yeah, I love animals. Got a dog, Loki. So I had done no training, but I was interested in training at that point. And because he turned out to have behavior problems, I hired a trainer and was like, wow, this is really neat. My boss at the vet clinic was very supportive and encouraged me to take like continuing ed and do some cool stuff. And then I got a puppy and she was like, Hey, you should like do little mini puppy socials at the clinic. And I meant was mentoring under there and under, under another trainer at that time and started doing puppy socials and having a lot of fun and still doing behavior work with Loki, integrating him and Fen. And then I had probably been mentoring for two years when I brought our cat home. Yeah. That sounds about right. <laughs> it's all a blur. <laughs> it's like eight years ago. Had you done a lot of 
cat dog cases so did you have experience with bringing a cat into an already established you're shaking your head no okay yeah, that so would have been like, the smart person work. move yeah no that would have been the smart i'm the one who adopted a reactive dog and then was like you know what i need it's a puppy oh yeah mm -hmm. the other dog he doesn't like cats you know what i need it's a cat i am a perfect example of all the things that you should not do unless you accidentally want to become a behavior trainer and then can speak from experience for all of the things <laughs> mistakes are made people <laughs> yeah that's why i love doing these interviews because i feel like that's a theme right we the trainers or the people who end up being behavior oriented people are like let's just see what happens like i've got the, you know we've <laughs> i've got it do we really have it no but we have the confidence <laughs> to move forward and then when things don't go as planned we do not panic or at least yes. panic inwardly and then continue to search for what to do next. Yeah, that second one feels, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh, a lot of panic. So um, much panic. Personally, I adopted my uh, mini American Esky guy. He was about two and we lived in a high rise in Brooklyn and he had Perfect. no known training or like his history, like he was left in a duffel bag at the shelter. So like, um, <laughs> and so when he turned out to be so dog reactive and like hand shy and everything that is horrible to have in a Brooklyn high rise apartment, I was like, great, <laughs> this is a fun project. <laughs> but anyway, enough about my experiences. Um, <laughs> so you've made these, you made these decisions in without a lot of like mm, cognizant thought about the for the future. Okay. Yeah. I look back and I'm like, so impulse control is something that I need to work on a lot. <laughs> um, and I like, I always tell my clients when, you know, they're trying to integrate two dogs or whatever. And they're like, I think we've made a mistake. I was like, look, I'm the first person to tell you what I know now. I would not have done any of the things that I did back then. And I am still so glad I did them. I can't imagine my life different now. And I'm one of the lucky ones in that I was able to integrate everybody and it turned out fine and we were able to manage it. So, yeah. So let's yeah. talk a little bit about how that happened. So we first had the two dogs. So Loki was established, did not like other dogs. Correct. Puppy came in. Yep. What management did you have set up already? Um, kind of what was your plan going into that? Yeah. So um, again, I brought the puppy home on a semi whim. I had gone to the shelter on my lunch break to visit a friend and they were like, Hey, by the way, there's puppies in the kennel. And I was like, cool, let's go play with puppies. And then was like, I'm going to take that one home. Yep. So, uh, <laughs> step one was on my way home that night. I got her a crate <laughs> because Loki, um, when I, he was, like I said, we think he was probably somewhere between seven and nine when I adopted him and he did not do well in a crate. Talk reactive people are like the whole nine yards. Um, so first step was going to be that puppy was going to be crate trained so that Loki would have his safe space. He could get away. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was first step when I brought her home. I put her in the crate with a little like stuffy and some warm blankies and just kind of set her off to the side before I let Loki out of my room, living with a roommate. And then I just spent like 15 minutes snuggling Loki like, hey, dude, I'm so excited to see you. I'm happy to be here, um, by the way. <laughs> and then brought him out into the living room. 
let the puppy out of the crate while I was stuffing Loki full of snack. And he looked at her and looked at me. And I swear to God, I have a photo of him sticking his tongue out with her sitting next to him as if he's like, thanks for nothing. But he was looked at her and walked away. And I spent a lot of time reinforcing her. Like if big brother leaves, you do not follow. He's not a dog that you play with. He's not a dog that you bother. And I made sure she, on her own, had a lot of socializing with other dogs, friends' dogs, other puppies, um, because they didn't want Big Brother's dismissiveness to upset her journey in any way. But it was a lot of teaching her, like, you stay with me, you don't bother him, you don't go with him. And it sounds very short and easy when I sum it all up, but this was probably six months of me constantly keeping her on a leash next to me, reinforcing her for going, like, reinforcing him for going away, her for staying with me, making sure he got mom time. So he always got his own walk every day. He got his own time in the yard some mixed time in the yard together if they were both doing other activities like looking for treats on the ground. And I think Fen was six months old the first time I saw them sleeping together. Yeah. Through a lapsed moment of management, I was like, you guys are going to be fine for two seconds while I just like run out of the room and come back. And they were like on the bed, almost spooning. That's so cute. It was really cute. I came back in and I took a picture of that and Fen has got her head down and Loki's looking at me like, don't document this. This never <laughs> All of these pictures are going to go up on the site, by the way. I'm going to get you. Yes. From you. Oh, yeah. I'm a, I got them. I got them. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a lapse in management kind of like mm-hmm. as an as a mini experiment, it sounds like. You were like, okay, I think that we've done – I have a, enough confidence to, to see if we can try this. Things have been going well. Generally, if Ben is unsure what to do, she'll run away. <laughs> Great. Like I'm in the other room for two hot seconds. What's the worst that can happen? So with Loki, his reactivity, were there any kind of issue? You know, you're counter conditioning him like crazy. You're shoving treats Mm -hmm. in him and you're telling him to go, you know, go away. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming you used some known cues with that. Maybe a go to place scenario. (laughs) You're not. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I realized no one could see me, but yeah, Yeah. (laughs) no, good. Uh So that's a kind of send him away. Mm-hmm. Were there any times where like things did not go well and there was kind of an emergency management situation that you needed to know? Yeah, I know this sounds crazy, but everything worked out amazing, which is mind boggling to me because Loki for his entire life, like if we brought any other dogs around, he was like, dogs are dead to me. Like he was lungy, snappy. He never quite got over that, especially if they came into his space. But he never, ever had any issues with Ben and got to a point where he was comfortable if he would growl at her and she would move away on her own. They had this really beautiful mutual understanding of like, we don't really hang out, like we don't play, but we can Mm -hmm. hang out in the same space. We can be around mom together. They, I know it's bizarre. They never had any issues. (laughs) No, I mean, that's great. You mentioned the growl like as an act, you know, an active communication, right? Go, I need my space. He listens, right? So they had to practice that and to teach each other what the signals were that they were <laughs> were developing together, a specific mm-hmm. communication um, style between them. And so like, mm-hmm. I always like to say that you have to give them the opportunity to practice like the small stress behaviors <laughs> you can't yeah. just like say management and they're never going to see each other and then all of a right. sudden they're going to know what to do if someone gets a little bit tense they have to get those opportunities to learn those coping mechanisms 
um, and communication. Totally. And because Fen was young at that point, it was like, if he growled at her while I was with the two of them, I was moving her away. Hey, when he does that, we leave. When he does that, we leave. And as she got older, he would growl and she'd be like, oh yeah, I leave. All of that being said, I never left them alone together if I was not present in the house. Mm-hmm. Every time I left the house, Loki got free reign of the bedroom and Fen went into her crate because he didn't want to risk her harassing him, bothering him in a situation where I was not there to manage it. Um, especially yeah. as she got older because she's 60 pounds and he was 30. So he was going to start something he couldn't finish. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and that's usually where I leave it to. I'm like, okay, we're never going to leave these animals together when I'm not there or when someone who understands communication between them is not there yes so yeah I think that that makes total sense to me keeping everyone as safe as possible is the number one priority so finally you so six months that's my cat scratching on (laughs) speaking of alternative behaviors guys I have a scratcher on the wall right next to the door of my office that he used to scratch to try to get out. Uh, so, you know, differential reinforcement of different activities. Hmm, let's think about it while I let him out. Hold on one second. I love it. There you go. Bye. <laughs> the really the really fun part is when we get to talk about uh, differential reinforcement of other activities with Fen and the cat. Because I made yes. a really awesome mistake training. <laughs> okay, so let's just jump into it because we have a beautiful yes. segue there. So yes. tell me about, you know, how, what training program you went through, or at least you might have devised ahead of time for when Kitty came on the scene. Yeah, so with the cat, I waited three days to think about it because my uh, now husband made me wait. So it wasn't as much of an impulse decision, which was great. <laughs> so at the time we were living, he and I were living together with a roommate. So we had a pretty decent sized house. There was an upstairs downstairs. And so we designated the empty bedroom as the cat's room. And so he was going to get to stay in there for the first week while he settled, got used to the smells of the dogs and us moving around and being in a new space. And then we were going to just feel it out from there and see how it went. So when I brought him home, my husband put the dogs out in the yard so they were not home. We got him set up in his room, put a cat tower, all the things that he would need to feel comfortable, let him out of his crate, spent some time with him. And then my husband stayed in the room with him while I let the dogs in. He was feeding him greenies which were his numero uno treat of choice. The little kitty like fish ones, they're so cute. Um, So the new cat was getting those while the dogs were coming in and they immediately beelined straight to the closed door and were snuffling under it. I'm throwing kibble at them. I'm like, yeah, we smell that, we get treats. So exciting. Woohoo, who doesn't love this? Mm-hmm. Um, and we did that for like a week. At that point, we then put up a baby gate in front of the cat's room. And I started with one dog at a time. The door would be open for the cat for like five to 10 minutes. Whichever dog I had was in place. We call it settle. Um, Mm -hmm. Was in settle right outside of the baby gate. And it was like, okay, you're getting treats. My husband's in the room with the cat, giving the cat treats or giving the cat pets, doing something the cat loves. Just a couple minutes a day, close the door again. Everybody goes back about their business. We did that on and off for a few weeks. And after a while, it got to a point where uh, with Fen, as long as she was supervised, we could leave the door open, but have the baby gate up and she and the cat could move around in the opposite rooms together. And the cat could even jump the baby gate and come out for a little bit and go back. Fen would get a little excited. At this point, she's like a 
year and a half old puppy. So she's like, <laughs> so exciting. Uh -huh. So she would like chase him and stuff. And we were like, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to go back into settle, rethink our life choices. Um, Loki never got to a point where we could have them in the same space together without either Loki being on a leash or the cat behind the baby gate. He was able to stay settled and watch the cat move around. But as soon as the cat would come up to the baby gate, Loki was way too intense for my comfort level, extreme staring, mm -hmm. kind of rigid, not moving. So we just made the decision since we had the space that we were never going to bring the two of them together. And that was going to be a crate and rotate kind of system. Mm -hmm. And I stand by that decision. <laughs> yeah, let's talk a little bit about that. Like, how did that yeah. end up working so that the cat, I mean, I. it sounds like Loki, your bedroom was kind of his safe yeah. space. So mm -hmm. if I'm picturing your house, I yeah. have the weird ability to um, think of floor plans in my head. Um, <laughs> really helpful for a cat behavior person because I can be like, put the tree over there. Yes. So, <laughs> So if he's in your bedroom, Kat has more freedom about the other mm -hmm. spaces and then vice versa. That's what you mean by yes. creating rotation. So he's yes, not exactly. ever going into, the dog is never going into the cat space. Correct. Yeah. And neither dog was ever going into the cat space. Even the friendly dog, it was like, that's the cat's safe space. Like, we're not going to, we don't mess with that. You can hang yeah. out around the door, but we don't go in there. That's not true at this point. Mm -hmm. We're in the cat's room right now, but <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, he still has his own room. But at that time, so that was great and rotate is that if Loki mm -hmm. was going to be out, the cat was going to be behind a closed door. Once Loki went away for the night, the cat got to come out. It worked out really well too, because our cat Sindri bonded more with my husband than he did with me. And Loki was mm -hmm. such a mama's bo uh, boy. Mm -hmm. So if my husband was in with the cat, my dog was like, sweet, we got rid of the dude, just me and mom. <laughs> except for this other nerdy dog who's still here. Um, and he didn't mind at all. He eventually gave up, stopped sniffing at the door, didn't have any problems, which worked out great because through a series of rental increases, we ended up moving into a tiny apartment, mm. which was like seven to 900 square feet with the two dogs and the cat. Ah, so how did you adjust that setup? Yeah, so it was pretty much the identical setup and fortunately at that point loki was like very slow he was getting old wasn't super <laughs> fast anymore so for the most part that paid off pretty nicely he was like right at that age mm -hmm. and we at that point because he was slowing down so much we did start letting the cat out as long as loki was on a leash and was attached to me and he was pretty much at the point where i don't think he saw very well and he was just like as long as people leave me alone i don't care anymore <laughs> yeah Yes, the, the benefits of old dog. Yeah, because at that point I was like, there's no way he's fast enough that even if he did decide to chase the cat, he's not going to catch him. Sindri's easily going to be able to get away. We had cat towers in like every room. So there was always a place mm -hmm. that Sindri could go up, always something Sindri could go under, always another room that Sindri could run into. And it, it was really fun being able to spend more time with Sindri while still having Loki out. And I don't think Loki ever chased him at that mm -hmm. point, again, because he was either usually tethered to me or because he was asleep at my feet because he was like 12 <laughs> <laughs> and did not care. <laughs> Yeah, the, the energy budget was not put into chasing the cat. No, it was definitely still getting put into barking at other dogs in the apartment complex. And that's where all that zest went. <laughs> Bless him. Bless him. <laughs> he, just, he, was, he was tenacious. Yes. At, towards his goal. Yes. Uh, when, he, when we decided to put him down, he could not walk at 
basically at all he'd lost almost all control of his back legs but we took him to the beach one last time and he grounded a dog that walked by on the beach and at that point it was like you get him dude like, you can't even stand up you get him <laughs> so i'm like feeding him yeah, get fries. on my lawn 100 all i could picture was the clint eastwood and is it grand torino where he's like at the kids going by mm. yeah that was 100 what was happening it's totally fine <laughs> I love it. I love it. My my guys are getting older too. And I have these thoughts where I'm like, what, <laughs> what is their essence yes. that is going to continue? Yes. It's definitely going to be barking for the little, yeah. the little, I mean, he's like a spitz type. So that's, that's what he's supposed to do. I mean, Loki was a cattle dog. Of course he was going to bark and snap at people. That's what he do. Yeah. yeah. That's like, the game. I don't know you. <laughs> Versus again, our vicious people who uh, her essence is licking face, any face. Human face, animal face, any face. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, so you mentioned a mistake uh, that you did. I I did not forget. Yes. Tell me about this. This is, this is one of my favorite stories and also like, mm. should have known. So after Loki passed away, Sindri got for basically free roam of the house. At that point, Fen was put mm. away in the bedroom. So Sindri had the house where she was away during the day. And at night, they were out mm -hmm. together. So remember, Sindri gets the zoomies right around 8 o'clock, basically mm -hmm. every night. And at that point, when you're like a three-year-old pit bull, that's an invitation for a good time. But Fen weighs 60 pounds, and Sindri weighs nine. And um, <laughs> one of us is a freight train, and the other one is a tiny animal on the track. So I did not love that she was chasing him. So I decided... Instead of chasing a cat, why don't you come to me and I'll give you uh, what we called peanut butter bone, which was basically a Nyla bone that I smeared peanut butter on for her to chew. So instead of chasing the cat, come back to me, peanut butter bone. So usually the chase would start and Sindri would get up on top of the couch. Ben would be on the floor. And that was the point where I could get a pretty good interrupt. So he would start his zoomies up there and he'd be flexing his claws into the pleather. And Fen would be staring at him. And at that point, if I was paying attention, I would go, hey, Fen. Let's go get your peanut butter bone. I'm more or less observant. It's eight o'clock at night. I'm working full time in addition to doing dog training on the side. So we're not always a hundred percent. This is a do as I say, not as I do moment for any of my clients who listen to this later. So we're not a hundred percent. Management is not as solid as it should be. So what started happening is Ben would get really excited and would try to get the cat to run. So she would muzzle punch him. And I'd be like, oh my God. Yep. Nope. Let's get your peanut butter bone. Don't do that. And then one day I was sitting on the couch and Sindri got up on the armchair preparing his limbs for a good sprint and Fen muscle punched him off the arm of the chair and then looked at me. Ta-da! Look at my behavior change. I did it. I did it. <laughs> Who's good at stuff? Muzzle punch cat gets next. Yeah. Um, yeah. So at that point I realized that I had accidentally told Fen that if you wanted to ask for a peanut butter bone, you should shove the cat around. Uh, yep. Not my finest moment. I said some very explicit curse words and then explained to my husband exactly what I'd done. And he was like, too bad we don't know any dog trainer. <laughs> <laughs> we love him. He's great. So how did we end up breaking that chain? Yeah. So uh, we're better now. It is still something we're working on. Fen is now eight. <laughs> we're still working on this, but it's getting better. So what I started doing was I would sit down at night and make sure that I had treats in my lap in either a bag or a jar and then was just hanging out watching tv i'm winking for those of you who can't see me on the podcast while i was keeping an eye on the two of them and as soon as Sindri would jump up and i would see fen's eyes like get big i was just hucking handfuls of treat at her yep you can look at him. 
but we don't touch him. You can look at him, but we don't touch him. Um, and then if I came home from work and I was like, I can't tonight, I need a beer, I need to watch a TV show, I ain't go to bed. She got the peanut butter bone at like 7.45 p.m. before we chased the cat, before the cat got the zoomies. Because if she's licking the peanut butter bone, he can run circles around her and she does not care. Oh. So management was you get something early. Yeah. Right. So there's two really good, I want to break this down for the people listening. That, those are two fantastic ways to address a kind of predictable interaction that we don't like so much between the animals how can we help them not continue to rehearse that so the first thing is to look at the set of precursor behaviors that happen before kind of like the big behavior we don't want so like the big behavior here is muzzle punch and chase mm -hmm. right but you were mentioning all the other smaller precursor behaviors where you could interrupt yes. right so if one was paying attention I mean, and doing a good job right. of things. <laughs> exactly. So like, Sindri jumping up is the first one, mm -hmm. right? And then him him indicating with his body that he is getting limber. And then uh, like kind of the portal towards where Fen would probably get too aroused in order to look at you would be that stick. Mm -hmm. right? That's that kind of last behavior before the punch. Yep. All right. So you were ready. Yep. You said, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna train this. <laughs> and I'm going to break, you know, I'm going to interrupt the chain before it gets too mm -hmm. intense and we get to have an accidental reinforcement yeah. of the chase and punch. Yes, either with um, my chasing or by mom accidentally giving you a peanut butter bone because she wasn't paying attention. <laughs> yes, functional reinforcer of chase or trained reinforcer yeah. of peanut butter bone. So that was, that's exactly how I tend to, you know, recommend to people okay well if there's a predictable issue <laughs> then we can both come up with a management plan yes. which you did and a training plan for it and those are not mutually exclusive no. like you should go back and forth yep. and that was my <laughs> trick I got cocky I was like I'm a dog trainer I will pay attention and I will get on top of this no mm -mm. nope <laughs> No. Need that management no. plan. And, and yeah, management is not sexy, but it is just, <laughs> it is good because I, I'm always thinking like, all right, I know how to do this stuff, but I'm tired. Like I've got other stuff to do, mm -hmm. right? And I can work on it, but I need to be sharp. And how often am I really sharp? I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. So, talk a big talk, but not so much. <laughs> Yeah. And, and so to everyone here who's listening, who's like, I can't train every day with this stuff. I'm like, cool. Me yeah. neither. This is what happens when you try people. Give yourself a break. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it still gets, you know, you still get somewhere because the reinforcement history of those, those big behaviors that we don't like is not getting bigger. Mm -hmm. So whenever you do train and interrupt that chain and reinforce the heck out of those appropriate behaviors that reinforcement history gets bigger and eventually overtakes hopefully overtakes the reinforcement history of the big behaviors yes and so management is doing stuff even if you think it's a cop-out it's not yep. it's really helping you yep. so that was my psa to everyone management is great and not management just like okay let's just keep them separate forever and ever it's management in okay i know this interaction is probably going to happen how can I just help them learn to act appropriately around each other 
but prevent that big behavior from happening. If there was always a visual barrier between them, they would never have learned to disengage from each other when that kind of revving up happened. Right. It probably would have gotten worse because Fen could hear and smell the cat, but would never have been able to see him. So then if she did see him, it's like, oh, wow, I've been anticipating this. It's like knowing you're going to Disneyland two months ahead of time. And then by the time you get there, your heart is basically exploded. Yeah. So it is. <laughs> and you don't want to create and rotate forever. We did that with Sindri and Loki because at that point it was like, A, this isn't safe. We don't feel good about it. And B, like Loki's getting older. It's not like it's going to be a decade of their lives like this. And their quality of lives were both better for being separate. But given Fen's youth and the fact that Sindri is an immortal being, um, because we think he was 12 when we adopted him, but he kind of looks like he's 12 now. So we have no idea. So he's just immortal. So he'll be around for forever. She's only eight now. It was really important we be able to integrate them. And her problem was not aggression at all. It was, um, he was Disneyland regardless. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So what... I mean, my question in this situation would usually be, how did you know that the chase was play versus mm-hmm. aggression? But you've known her since she was six weeks old. Yeah. So and she's I'm pretty assuming up. it was just because, right, yeah. that she's just never had in a really, it's just bouncy, bouncy, high, 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 I love you. Yeah. Right. So her history can hold you the answer. Yeah. She's, uh, yeah. When we lived in the house where we still had Loki and Sindri was kept separate, we lived next to a giant field and discovered there were rats coming into our backyard. And uh, we found that out because Fen was laying next to the fence with her head on her paws, wagging her tail maniacally. And I was like, what did you find? And went over and there were two rats just wandering around in front of her. And she's looking at them like, yeah the only time she ever pounced a cat that wasn't our cat uh the cat was covered in slobber because she was licking it and she had scratches all up and down her face so the cat was like i'll kill you and she was like i love your love so much (laughs) yeah that was she uh so she never really got the message (sighs) yeah so that's the other reason really careful is because she does not receive the memo of disapproval um Sindri and so in Sindri's defense a he's a Persian mix so his teeth are very small and he's missing everything from the canine's back because when we got him it was a hot mess in there but he has flat out like bitten Ben in the leg and she just stands there like it's not happening so a lot of her was kind of what I did with Loki which was like if he's mad go away like leave the dude alone if he's biting you it's not a kiss dude I know you think it is, but it's not. <laughs> yeah, it's really like rewriting her dictionary of like, she thinks he's saying this, mm-hmm. but actually he's not. Yeah. And his his physiology doesn't allow him to back up whatever he's trying to tell her. Yeah. And she's just sounds like a typical pity bowling ball. Yes. T- you yeah. Know, so like, yeah. physical pain does not factor in to a, an interaction with anyone else. <laughs> yeah. This dog tore both of her CCLs and we only figured it out because she was limping on one of the legs. Yeah. She's crazy. I'm not going to tell you. No. She was like, yeah, <laughs> I, seriously. She's like, he's hugging me with his mouth. It's wonderful. Yeah. So our listening skills when it comes to pain are mediocre. But if it tells you how good they are, the cat's still glaring at me from the hallway and Fen's been running around and moving around and he's just chilling. So they really do cohabitate really nicely. And even though she is super friendly, I've never seen any aggression. And you can definitely tell because before she starts the chase, if she's going to do it, she play bows. And then it's just Mm. like this loose goosey, like, yeah, as she rushes forward. Whereas Loki, 
when he would get too close to the cat, he would freeze, his head would dip, but his mm -hmm. body would stay upright and he would get into that stalker mm -hmm. mode. Not fun. His was intense. Yeah. Yeah. So those are like really obvious, right? Like really bouncy, mm -hmm. thin, very still, starey, mm -hmm. Loki. When you have clients who are reactive, yeah. whether it's to cats or other dogs or whatever, and it's a little bit more ambiguous in terms of body language, yeah. do you have a way to figure that out? Yeah. I have a lot of people always asking me, like, how do I know whether this chase, like, I'm not going to let him get all the way to the cat. Right. Because so. we don't want to find out. <laughs> how do I know? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, um, it's harder and I have done, I have done dog cat cases. My primary is dog dog. So this is something I'm still growing in. So I'm curious to hear what you think and what other stuff you would do. But mm -hmm. generally the things I look for are, is there obsessive behavior? So is the dog not able to leave the cat alone if the cat's in line of sight? Like, can you break the dog's focus either with toys or with treats? Mm -hmm. How hard is it to do that? How quickly do they go back? Uh, if the cat's stationary, is the dog still obsessed? If the cat's in another room, is the dog hunting and looking for the cat? So it's like level of commitment from the dog. How interested are they? And then what does that behavior look like? And again, if it's like, if you're seeing stuff where you're, if my general rule of thumb is if you're looking at a behavior and you're not sure, you can't tell if this is a fun, friendly stocking or a scary stocking, we're going to assume it's a scary stocking until proven otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm trying to think the last client I had whose dog had a cat problem, they ended up rehoming their cat because the dog was so freaky with the cat that if the cat was in another room, the dog would try to get through the door, like pawing and smacking at the door to try to get through it. Mm. Even if the cat had been put away like two or three hours prior, if the dog was allowed in that space. So they needed a double barrier system where the dog had a baby gate at the stair and then the mm -hmm. cat was behind a door because if that baby gate were lifted, the dog was right at that door waiting creepily yeah yeah did the cat come first in that case or the dog the cat had come first the dog had some other behavior issues um which made rehoming really difficult whereas tough yeah so hard and they they we had a long two long discussions about it they took like a week to think it through because it was so hard fortunately in talking to their family members about it it turned out that uh the wife's sister was had no pets was happy to have a quiet easygoing cat in her house so they were able to give their cat to a family member that they trusted felt really good about they get to see her occasionally still and now they don't have to wake up and worry that their dog's going to kill their cat in the middle of the night yeah. yeah so i usually push for the like whoever's newest gets rehomed unless they're the harder to rehome animal. Yeah. And I wonder in this, in that case, actually, I mean, obviously the dog was stressed by the presence of the cat. Yeah. Was the cat stressed by the presence of the, yes. Yeah. Yes. So you can tell I'm a, my, <laughs> my orientation is dogs because I'm like, this was the dog was doing. Oh yeah. No, the cat was also freaking out. Um, so mm -hmm. that cat was like hiding in the farthest corner of the closet in the room that she was in and would not come out to save her life if she could hear the dog at mm -hmm. all. Um, lots yeah. more vomiting than is normal for her. She was having litter box issues. So oh, she was all the kinds of stress. It was yeah. so, it was so sad. They had to feed her in the closet because she wouldn't come out. So it was like, this is untenable. Whereas with our cat, even with Loki, who would definitely have loved to treat him like a tasty snack, he did not care at all. He was free roam in his own room, hanging out on his two different cat towers, eating, drinking, playing absolutely normal saucy behavior because that would have made a difference is if Sindri had decided that hearing that dog on the other side of the door was more than he could handle 
then it would not have been a tenable situation because they both have to be happy in order for it to work. Yeah. 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 And to that end, I was just, I was thinking of another picture I was going to send you. When Fen got her CCL, so for those that don't know, that's the doggy version of the TPLO, basically surgery, or is that the dog one? ACL. Humans are ACLs. I don't know what humans do. Anyway, she tore <laughs> ligaments in her both her knees. And that's what it is. And had to have surgery for it. And when she was recovering, she could barely walk and Sindri slept next to her pretty frequently, despite the fact that she's the, we call her the beast. She's the annoying beast who like harasses him intermittently. He was still right next to her, checking on her, sniffing her all over, sleeping and purring. So there's a mutual relationship there, even if he looks irritated with her most of the time, he still like checks in on her. Also, interestingly, when Loki passed away, we, I don't know if you cut this, if this is like a trigger warning for people, but like we brought his body home afterwards so that the pets could say goodbye. And Sindri came over and sniffed him all over and then sat down and purred. Like he was like, hey, this is cool. We're good. And that was the dog that wanted to eat him. So he was very chill with everything. Yeah. The, I think I, I call them the interactive tendencies. The interactive tendencies of each animal plays a huge role in the plan both in management and training, and even feasibility of whether the animals are going to be able to mm-hmm. exist together. Right? If Sindri ha- had had a different interactive tendency, yeah. where he was either super flighty or was like, "Don't mess with me, I'm coming at you." <laughs> whenever there was a stress behavior, yeah, right, that that would not en- have ended as as well because you would have had to work really, really hard on training him to kind of retool those natural mm-hmm. responses to being stressed by the other, by the dog's presence. Yeah, yeah. I am very grateful that he was so easygoing and he still is. I'll have um, clients, puppies occasionally or friends bring their puppies over to meet fence so they can have socialization and we'll leave Sindri out and he'll just watch and the puppies get a chance to see a cat at a distance, get rewarded for nice behavior, but he doesn't run or whack at them or anything. He just sits there and he's like, hmm interesting so he's pretty much the perfect cat which we got really lucky with because like you said a a super aggressive cat would have been really difficult or a super flighty cat I mean I don't think either of those situations would have been tenable given that we already had issues with Loki yeah Um, I mean did you do any training with Sindri um yes but not related to this mostly just because it seemed like fun (laughs) what tricks does he know um so as uh, I'm sure with many adult cats out there, the tricks he knows are uh, dependent on whether or not he can see tuna behind my back, basically. But if there's a flake of tuna in for it for him, uh, he can lick his nose and he can do a paw target Ooh. to a lollipop. A lollipop. Yeah. Does he get to lick the lollipop? He does not because he is on a specialty oh. diet. I know it's tragic, but he will get it's flaky not... bits of stuff for it, like tuna. What? Yeah. He likes his wet food a lot, which is really nice. No lollipop licking though, just a good smack on it. <laughs> I would have never thought of that as a good target stick, but now I'm thinking it works great. It's got a scent. Yeah, that's a good one. Right. And it's like it's nice and round and it's got a stick on it. Works off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when when there are cats that don't have the natural inclination to react neutrally when there is a stressed dog around, okay. the same behaviors apply, right? Teaching a really good go-to-place behavior yes. and just as long as the, it's up so yes. that they yes. are not, <laughs> they feel safe, the dog can't get to them. Um, but you already mentioned, right? He just 
has a lot of those places around and he decided that those are the places he'll go if his uh beast is acting a little too crazy <laughs> yes he always has options yeah so again i got lucky and i didn't have to do a lot with him thanks so much for listening if this episode helped you feel less alone in your struggles with your cats and dogs please rate review and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app and look out for part two of this interview coming out next tuesday you can also follow me on Instagram at PraiseworthyPets. I'd love to hear your suggestions for who I should interview next. And if your pets aren't getting along and you don't know where to start, go download my free Pets Process Guide, a helpful step-by-step -step explanation of the process that I use with my own clients when helping them through their coexistence journey. You can get access to the guide by going to praiseworthypets.com guide. That's all for this episode, you wonderful cat and dog people. See you next week for more It's Training Cats and Dogs.